The recent warming of relations between Taiwan and Lithuania has caused China to respond with animosity toward the Baltic nation. After recalling its ambassador in Lithuania, China exerted further pressure by halting direct train freights to Lithuania, giving rise to much disapproval from the international community. Over the weekend, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken made a phone call to the Lithuanian foreign minister to underscore America's ironclad solidarity with Lithuania. The Lithuanian side has tried to distort concepts and disguise its challenge against the One China principle as the so-called defense of principles and values to quibble for its development of relations in essence with Taiwan authorities. Such an attempt can only fool themselves. As a reaction to Lithuania's decision to allow Taiwan to open a representative office in Vilnius, its capital, China decided to recall its ambassador to Lithuania and had demanded the same from Vilnius. Additionally, the state-owned China Railway Container Transport Company also decided to halt direct train freight services to the Baltic nation as retaliation. Following China's actions, many in the international community have come forth to support Lithuania. In a phone call over the weekend with Lithuanian Foreign Minister Gabrielius Landsbergis, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken underscored, quote, ironclad U.S. solidarity with Lithuania. In a tweet following the call, Secretary Blinken added that his call with Minister Landsbergis represented the U.S.'s support of Lithuania's decision to expand ties with Taiwan. Not missing a beat, Taiwan's Foreign Minister Joseph Wu in turn tweeted his thanks to Secretary Blinken, stating that Blinken's backing toughens Taiwan's resolve to fight off authoritarianism. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs again thanks the U.S. for showing leadership of the free world, especially when democracies face Chinese coercion by coming forth in open, steadfast support. As for the development of Taiwan-Lithuania relations, we can be sure that the U.S. and the EU are supportive. Another point is, Lithuania's action with Taiwan does not constitute formal diplomatic relations. So it's not that different from what the EU and other countries are doing with Taiwan. So from this angle, China's hostility toward Lithuania is like waging a war without a just cause. In the face of China's animosity, international voices are sounding their firm support of Lithuania's deepening exchanges with Taiwan. Well, Sunday was Ghost Festival on the lunar calendar, a day when many locals practice rituals such as preparing food offerings, burning incense and joss paper to honor ancestors and wandering spirits. For the first time this year, AIT director Sandra Odkirk and deputy director Jeremy Cornforth took part in the folk rituals. In a social media post, the de facto American embassy said its community enjoyed immersing itself in Taiwan's local culture. The offerings prepared by the AIT this year all had a Pudu banner, which paid homage to the deceased. There were even Taoist Taiji Bagua symbols made of whole grains. Other offerings included sasparilla, snacks and fruits, as well as drinks packed in special AIT cans and play money in both NT and U.S. dollars. There were even toiletries in the offerings so that the wandering spirits could be spiffed up. The old Kaohsiung station, a 
rotund structure built in 1941 began the last segment of its journey back to its original location Sunday. Back in 2002, the historic building was raised and shifted on construction stilts to a nearby location to make room for the city's underground railway project. Now that Kaohsiung's new station area is completed, the Railway Bureau and the Kaohsiung city government are relocating the station building once again back to where it was 19 years ago. Dancers hold up red ribbons representing a return. The return in this case is that of the old Kaohsiung station to its original location. What I'm participating in is not just a construction's beginning or completion, but I'm taking part in the compilation of a city's history and memory. Back in 2006, it was Premier Su who gave the green light to the new Kaohsiung Station project. Now, as the current Premier, Su came to the southern port city to witness the return journey of the old station. Built in the imperial crown style by the Japanese in 1941, the old station had to be temporarily relocated for Kaohsiung's underground railway project. Now that the project has been completed, the 80-year-old structure will slowly make its way back to the original spot, reaching the central axis of the new Kaohsiung station in September, before all the finishing touches are completed next January. As of today, in Taiwan and even in Japan, few such imperial crown buildings still remain. We moved it back then and we promised that we would move it back again. We never expected to wait 19 years. Starting today, our station is about to return to the central axis of Kaohsiung City, which will link the Kaohsiung Sea and Air Duo ports, as well as three power engines for economic development. Having been part of Kaohsiung residents' collective memory, the old station will return to its rightful place as it continues to witness the vagaries of this southern port city. Taiwan reported six domestic cases and four imported cases of COVID on Sunday. Of the six domestic cases, three were in Taipei, one in New Taipei, one in Taoyuan, and one in Yunling. Of the four imported cases, two were breakthrough cases, meaning they had been fully vaccinated. Let's get the details from the CECC. The first and second imported cases of the day had both received two doses of vaccine, and they only entered the country at 14 days of quarantine, so they count as breakthrough infections. One of them received the first and second doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine back in March and June. The other one received the first and second doses of the Pfizer vaccine in June and July. To date, we have a cumulative total of 19 breakthrough cases from overseas, and among these 19 cases, 8 have received the Pfizer vaccine, 5 the AstraZeneca vaccine, and 3 each the Johnson & Johnson and Moderna vaccines. Meanwhile, nearly 600,000 people have registered to receive the locally developed Menagen vaccine, which will be administered starting Monday. In this initial round, the vaccine is packaged in single-dose vials, meaning 
Each vial will only contain enough liquid solution for one patient. The Medigen vaccine is a protein subunit vaccine that can be stored at a temperature between 2 to 8 degrees and only requires a 28-day interval between doses. Common side effects include a 71% chance of soreness at the injection site and a 36% chance of muscle pain or lethargy. Podcasts are not a new medium. Having emerged in the early 2000s with the popularization of portable digital music players. But it's only recently that podcasts have taken off in Taiwan. Since 2019, this audio-only format has been favored by amateur content creators, internet celebrities, and even politicians. Tonight in our Sunday special report, we dive into the exciting, thriving and sometimes problematic world of Taiwanese podcasts. 大家好,欢迎收听三奥原创节目,我是主持人美女作家李平,我们今天依旧请到了客座主持人严娜女士。In this small studio, a producer mans the console while two presenters sit at their mics. This is where the magic happens for one of the hottest podcasts on the internet. I've been doing this for about a year or so now. The whole process has been really interesting for me, because before this, I was primarily a writer. I'm normally a writer as well. I do academic research. Both writers found themselves impacted by the pandemic in 2020. No longer able to hold book signings or interact with their readers, they found a new way to tell their stories. To their surprise, they were able to connect with their fans more than before. I feel like the podcast allows for very intimate programming. I hear from many people that they listen while cleaning their homes, working, or for some even while showering. Hosting a program like this, you'll receive a lot of feedback. I think that as a writer, many of my readers were shy, but after becoming listeners of the podcast, they gained the courage to share their thoughts and advice. With a podcast, you're relying completely on your voice to capture the listeners' hearts. It's refreshing because using your voice to express yourself is something that a writer normally can't do. Podcasts first came onto the scene in 2004 after the iPod popularized the use of portable devices to consume digital media. What makes it special is that users can listen anytime from their cell phones. They are not fettered by a broadcast schedule. Listeners also don't need to stare at the screens. All they have to do is listen. What kind of people listen to podcasts? Statistics show that the average listener is between 23 and 32 years old, and most hold a bachelor's or master's degree. 60% of listeners are women, and on average, listeners tune in for an hour at a time. One interesting finding we made is that among these listeners, a quarter of them have monthly salaries as high as $50,000. So I think that one feature of the podcast audience profile is that perhaps they're shunning traditional entertainment or they've grown wary of visual content and have turned to sound. Or maybe in the face of so much panic-inducing information out there, podcasts cast a ray of light. Why are podcasts interesting? Well, it's because their content is diverse, and the files are easy to save and digest in pieces. 
you can replay the content and listen to it anytime, anywhere. It's because it's such a convenient format that listeners can connect with it under different circumstances in different environments. One platform that had 277 podcast programs in 2019 had over 8,000 programs in 2020. That represents a staggering 28 fold growth in just one year. In other words, there's been dramatic growth in the number of people producing podcasts. In the first quarter of last year, we had about 300 creators registered on the platform. In the first quarter of this year, that number soared to 2,900. I believe that number is about an eightfold increase, give or take. One reason for the explosion in content creation is that it doesn't take much to get started. Whereas traditional broadcasting requires specialized equipment, making a podcast requires only a microphone and other recording equipment, a small soundproof space for recording, and editing software. With that, creators can make their own content and share it with the world. In traditional radio broadcasting, most presenters are chosen through a testing process or interview. Whether it's a special vocal quality, enunciation, manner of speaking, or professionalism, you've got to have something to get hired by a radio station and then to later become a presenter. Podcasting is something that more people want to get into. You just need to have the basic equipment and to put in a little time. That's all it takes to get started. Without the help of visuals, podcasts rely entirely on the program content. A podcaster's ability to speak naturally is very important. Herself a seasoned presenter of 17 years, Pan Yuechi now writes and works as a speech instructor. She's worked for a number of large organizations teaching staff. Now, amid the rise of podcasts, there's been a huge increase in people hiring her to improve their speaking skills. I think what's important is to look at the category of the podcast and the expectations of listeners. For example, let's say there's a program about stock trading. When listeners are tuning into a program on finances, what do they want to hear? They don't care how beautiful the presenter's voice is. What they are looking for is information and whether the content is in touch with the times. However, if it is an intimate program for those looking for companionship, then the content has to give listeners a sense of warmth. Meanwhile, listeners of a program that makes music recommendations might place importance on the quality of the presenter's voice so that the whole program is easy to listen to. When assessing oral expression, listeners tend to mind factors like whether the enunciation is clear, whether the information is well articulated, and whether the voice is rich with expression. In a sea of 8,000 podcast programs, how does one stand out? And what does it take to reach the top five? Statistics show that the presenter's style and content are the crucial factors. Today, internet celebrity Froggy Chu, whose real name is Chiu Weijie, is a Taipei city councillor. He got his start on YouTube, where he racked up more than half a million subscribers. In 2020, he made the switch to podcasts. Seeking a new experience, Froggy made the transition from YouTube to podcasting, and his program shot up to the top three. That popularity owed itself partially to Froggy's pre existing status as an internet celebrity. 
but it was also due to his program's niche category. We talk about interesting news events. It can be enjoyed by scholars and laymen alike. Whether you have a graduate degree or you're still in high school, anyone can listen to this program without getting stressed out by the content. Also, these interesting news tidbits contain a certain degree of meaningful information, too. The show's topics are hot and nothing is taboo. The two presenters bounce off each other to comedic effect, keeping listeners glued to their headphones. When I was first conceptualizing this program, I decided I needed to have a woman as a co-host. I noticed that in a lot of countries, including the US and Taiwan, the programs that last the longest are usually hosted by not just one presenter, but two. What these young people want is a kind of resistance to society, maybe through ridicule or maybe satire. If you talk about sex or private matters, or speak in a politically incorrect way, that actually gets a lot of listeners. Young people might hear something they wouldn't normally say. They hear it, and they really resonate with it. Those things in the private sphere, I feel that those things are interesting. There are more and more podcasters who create an outlet for listeners' feelings, who have a brand based on their personality. But social media researchers warn that podcasts are a new form of media that's currently highly unregulated. The world of podcasts is wide and diverse, and that's the reason for the growing popularity. Yet creators still need to take responsibility for their content. In terms of laws protecting or regulating speech, there is certainly none of that unless you happen to say something that constitutes criminal behavior. However, in terms of health or science-related content or fake news, misinformation, unless these things constitute harm or a threat to safety, basically, they won't fall under any regulation. Regulation becomes especially important for sensitive demographics. About 1.3% of podcast listeners are under 18, and only 11.3% are age 18 to 22. Although they are not the core audience of podcasts today, the growth potential of these age groups cannot be underestimated. Many platforms like YouTube and Netflix have viewing restricted kids modes. Aside from YouTube, platforms like podcast apps, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts have an indicator on many of their programs in the form of the letter E. That E stands for explicit, which means the program contains restricted content. You can go through the settings to manage the content so that these E-rated programs don't show up in the menu for child listeners. At this stage, we will continue to adopt a more open approach because to implement restrictions is a negative act. It treats the symptoms but not the root cause. Perhaps we can get to the root of it in a future software update to ensure the right content gets to the right age group, to the right users. This is actually something we plan to work hard on. Since 2019, YouTube has been disabling ads on potentially contentious content, preventing their creators from earning money. Their income affected, YouTubers naturally began adjusting their content to appeal to a larger audience. 
Free speech is protected, but if many people don't want to see negative content on audiovisual platforms, then naturally they will complain of injustice, and those complaints against injustice will affect advertisers, and the advertisers will in turn affect the platforms, which will make adjustments to the content to manage it. With the advance of technology, new forms of media emerge. New platforms come with new freedoms, but the question of how to manage content on these platforms is an unavoidable debate. Students at National Chenggong University have created Taiwan's first human-powered submarine. It can only hold one person, who must pedal to propel it through the water. After beginning the design last November, the prototype is now nearing completion. Next year, the team hopes to be the first Taiwanese delegation at the Europe International Submarine Races. This student design is Taiwan's first human-powered submarine. Now with help from a Taiwanese manufacturer, the prototype is out. Inside, you'll find a pedal power propulsion system, a propeller for the tail end, and wires used to control the side fins. Student Wang Pichung will take this submarine to the Europe International Submarine Races. When we were younger, we saw a speedboat made by an older student, and we thought, we've studied so much, it would be wonderful if we got a chance to put it into practice. NCKU promotes an undergraduate research project. First years get to see the product of older students' projects on campus, and are encouraged eventually to produce their own. That's what inspired Wang to aim for the submarine race. NCKU also has Taiwan's biggest towing tank, where the designs can be tested before the contest. We have a boat testing class in the department, but they've never produced their own thing like these students. They will go on to test its capacities underwater. Behind the student's success is a broader goal for NCKU, offering naval engineering courses that will contribute to new indigenous military submarines. The main thing is to develop our students into the people needed to make future warships or military submarines in Taiwan. The biennial Europe International Submarine Races gives engineering students from around the world the perfect platform to show off their skills. Historically, European students predominate and Taiwan has never taken part before. But after 2020 was postponed to 2022, now Taiwan has a time to shine.